0: Today's guest, Dr. Gail Gross, is a name that's known to many because she has appeared on many media outlets, including CNN, The Today Show, The New York Times, Parents Magazine. She's literally been all over the place. And her area of expertise is in family relationships, education, behavior, and developmental issues. She comes to us today to discuss... Her newest book, The Only Way Out Is Through, and it is a guide that begins with her own personal story. Hello, everyone. My name is Pamela Brewer. I am welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk and delighted to say hello to Dr. Gail Gross, author of The Only Way Out Is Through, a 10 step journey from grief to wholeness. Dr. Gross, how are you? fine Pam very nice to talk with you well you have written a it's sort of it's described as sort of a memoir sort of a guidebook it's certainly something of an instructional uh, manual it's a remarkable walkthrough if you will your experiences and the experiences, unfortunately, that many people have. Let's start with April 12th of 1990. That is the day that your life changed. What happened yes. on that day?
1: Well, <clears throat> Pamela, in a second, of course, my life changed forevermore. Our, uh, we were on a vacation. Our daughter was on a project and she was 24 and a half, 24 and nine months. And she, we got that proverbial phone call in the middle of the night that she had died. And she had been sick for about four months with fatigue. And we had her checked on two coasts with two different doctors, and she got the very general diagnosis on the two coasts of infectious mononucleosis. But what she actually had was cardiomyopathy with fibrosis. So she actually had caught a a heart virus, which had gone to her heart, and thickened the wall, and um, weakened her heart muscle, and left scarring wherever it went. And so she died in her sleep, actually at the happiest time of her life. She was coming home in 10 days to get engaged, and... And then you know, plan a wedding, and it was very, very sad. She was on a, an assignment in California, and soon to be home. So, you know what we learn in loss and death is that it's a different kind of trauma or shock than any other trauma. Indeed, and it is uh, life changing, and in fact when i considered writing this book really as a um, as a, a an explanation of how i a jungian or psychological model really for how i walked this walk and came out still on the other side moving constructively and even vitally through life again a, a mother um sent me a um, very nasty email, Mm -hmm. having heard me on uh, a cable talk show, wanting to know what I could possibly know about such loss. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I had uh, to answer her that I understood where she was coming from, because it is a unique kind of... Grieving, the grieving that has to do with mourning and when you lose a child or a mate or uh, even, um, you know, a close relative or friend. It's different than other kinds of grief. And so I answered her. I understood where she was coming from. And I understood that complete devastation and deconstruction because sadly I had lost my child as well. And that's what made this book part um, memoir as well as strategies that I used myself because I felt I had to authentically weave myself through those strategies showing how this process that I developed was really the, the steps that I took to not only re-enter life, but re-enter life in a vital way with my libido back and my energy back and, in a sense, renewed. And it, so I think that's what makes this book different than other other books such as this. Well, th- there's another thing
0: that, that makes it quite different so many times as people are talking about grief and healing from grief. They're talking about the stages And whether it's an agreement with Kubler-Ross or a a disagreement with Kubler-Ross, they're talking about stages. First, you experience this and then this and then that. And what you have talked about is strategies, which is very different and much more, what's the word that I'm looking for, sort of inclusive of one's spirit, if you will, Uh, and and give someone space to move within the strategy.
1: Yes, because these really were the strategies. These were the techniques that I used myself. Because as you said in the opening of your show, Pamela, that in a second your life is completely changed and you're completely deconstructed. And the person you were the moment before you heard of this death is not the person you are when you are completely traumatized by the knowledge of that death and nothing will ever be the same again so it doesn't mean that your life is over though it can be if you get paralyzed in that place but if you move forward doing inner work following these strategies you can come back to life and actually not just back to life but back to life in a more vital way because, in a sense, you go through this deconstruction, and now when you reconstruct, you take into account the patterns of your own family of origin, the patterns of the transitions of your own family of origin, and the endings. Because remember, every ending signals a beginning. And we learn. I, I show you how to use that energy that you often use, and of course I used as well, to suppress those early patterns. And that energy, if used correctly, is returned to you. And that returns your creative energy, your libido. And that's the the difference in this book. And, you know, transitioning always contains the element of grief. So this book also takes into account other kinds of endings and other kinds of transformations so it's not only though I talked about my own story the loss of a child or the loss of a mate or the loss of a best friend but it's also the change of a job or the loss of a job moving from one place to another empty nest um, really children becoming a grandparent different stages of life children um returning home it's really about uh, it's also about the changes that we move through and in primitive cultures they always had rituals for these changes so that they opened a doorway for you to actively affect your own future which this book allows which is a huge thing um, in relation to choice
0: We're going to take a break, but I'd like for you to talk just for a moment about the concept of using a a lawsuit in in medical uh, situations as a way to not grieve, as a way to hold on to the person who's passed. We'll be right back, folks. This is Pamela Brewer. You're listening to Mind Talk. Dr. Gail Gross, author of The Only Way Out is Through, A Ten-Step Journey from Grief to Wholeness. Dr. Gross, in those situations, for some people, I wonder what your thoughts are about the pursuit of medical malpractice, if you will, lawsuits when there has been a death. Are they simply a way to expose uh, bad doctoring or might they be a way to stay connected to the person who's died or
1: what might be going on? Well, all of the above. You know, as long as you are conscious and you're clear as to why you're doing what you're doing, then if you feel it's necessary to have a lawsuit for the reason of keeping this situation from ever happening again. In other words, you know, if a doctor performs a surgery and he has a a vision problem and shouldn't be in surgery anymore and right after your child's surgery or your mate's surgery is never allowed to have hospital privileges again, then, you know, a, a good lawsuit can in fact do good it can say stop this person uh, should never ever be allowed to hurt another person so you know the dalai lama has a saying and he says if you allow people to do negative things to you then it's bad karma for you and it's bad karma for them Uh, the opposite of what you would think so you have to be authentic and you have to value and honor yourself on the other hand if, as you say, you take a lawsuit to stay connected to the person who died. Uh, many, In fact, many charities are created in the wrong atmosphere. They're created to keep the person from grieving, the person left behind, who's creating now this charity and the honor or the name of the mate or the child. And many times we throw ourselves into these projects to distract ourselves from our grief and keep us connected to the person we loved, but they don't. They keep us from grieving. They keep us from moving on. And so you have to be clear why you're doing it. In my case, um, it was very sad that the doctor Dawn had seen my daughter three weeks before she died, correctly diagnosed her at the foot of my bed The day before her funeral when I collapsed so you know it was he recognized the symptoms but he recognized them three weeks too late and uh, but I didn't blame the doctor I didn't blame God I really put my energies into how to survive this because Everyone has a choice, and the choice is very early, are you going to live through this? And a a lot of people don't, because just the trauma of losing a child or a mate can stop your heart, create instant death, and the body tries to save you. It slows you down. We call it depression, but it's really a deep sadness, and it, it all your processes slow down so that the body can help you survive this unbelievable shock to its system. So the key is to do the inner work, to see your early patterns, to recognize what's going on, to acknowledge what's going on. And only in that way can you keep yourself from projecting out onto the justice system or out onto... The person the doctor who made a mistake or onto God only by taking back those projections and integrating them back into yourself consciously can you take back your your libido your energy and move forward then re-enhanced and revitalized not the same but with a new normal because now you're reconstituted if you will reconstructed in many ways you're better because you really get to know yourself you know the shamans have recognized from time eternal in um, more natural cultures the importance of creating a history they call it recapitulation the idea of looking back at the early patterns that inform us from our families of origin and recognizing how those patterns have informed our behavior up until this point and now we can choose are we going to stay reactive are we going to stay and disconnected from so much of ourselves the pieces that we project out that we disown or are we going to take them back and reunite them to ourselves if we take those shadow pieces back shadow not meaning bad or good, but unknown to ourselves, the things we cast out of ourselves and put onto other people, if we take those pieces back deliberately, then we're operating from wholeness. Now we're complete. Now we're not half a person, we're a whole person, because the fertility for the rest of our lives lives in those disowned patterns, in that disowned material. And if we reunite that, you know the word yoga. People talk about yoga so often, but you know yoga really translates to the word yoke, and it's really meant to be spiritual, not really exercise. And yoke means union, or Jung called the the most important part of individuation the union of opposites within ourselves, the dark and the light, because we we are all things and. To recognize that we are both dark and light, to see those patterns from our early childhood or family of origin that we're comfortable with that inform our behavior and acknowledge that allows us to integrate that consciously into ourselves and and no longer uh, act out unconsciously. One of the words
0: that you just used is actually uh, a a description of your very first strategy, which is courage and and choice, choice. and that's what we've been talking about.
1: You know, we, we think of religion many times as a roadmap, really. It doesn't matter what the religion is, but in each religion there's a creation story. And even, you know, in ancient Egypt, there was a story of ISIS. There's always a creation story. This was the famous work of Joseph Campbell, where he could sit for, he said his greatest skill was he could sit for 12 hours a day and document the mythology from around the world and see the commonality in all of the creation myths. And in in the Western creation myth, we have the Garden of Eden. And when God casts out Adam and Eve, because they become conscious, you know, until then, they were naked but unaware. They were naive. They didn't lie. They didn't feel shame or embarrassment. But once they did, uh, made a, a wrong step, once they ate of that fruit and they, in a sense, went against God's word or rules, then they felt shame. Then they felt guilt. Then they felt their nakedness. And so now you would say they were conscious. They were aware no longer naive. So God casts them out, all right, but he gives them a gift. And the gift that he gives them in our religious model in the West or our creation myth is the way back into the garden because he tells them, I'm giving you free choice. I'm giving you free will so that by your behavior you can find your way back if you choose the best behavior if you choose good and not evil or positive and not negative so in in uh, other cultures in south america for example guatemala the wechels they believe or th- in peru they these people believe that you're the keeper of the garden and the way back into the garden is by eating the fruit is by becoming conscious and choosing using free will and at the moment of loss, the first thing you re- realize is how deconstructed you become. You feel very vulnerable and very young, like at about the age of seven. And now you feel deconstructed so that the the scaffolding, the structures that held you before that moment, the defenses that you've used all of your life to walk through the world are now taken from you because You're so wounded, you don't have the energy to reconstruct those defenses, to bring them up. This is something, death, that you can't really defend against. Now, you can ultimately paralyze yourself against the knowledge of loss and then be paralyzed in your life. Mm -hmm. But if you recognize that you've completely deconstructed, and you can't bring up these defenses in the beginning that you have used for all of your life, you have the opportunity to reconstruct in a healthier way and create a new normal by doing the inner work. But the first step to that is choice. You have to choose to live. And a lot of people do not. Exactly. In fact, in my own story, I remember... After Dawn died, I, I, maybe a half a year later, was in a store, and this woman said, oh, I'm so sorry, I heard that your daughter died, and I said, yes. She said, my son died a number of years ago, and then immediately, because this is what people who lose children almost do immediately, they look for other people like them, wondering what strategies did you use to survive? Mm -hmm. And suddenly they realize how many people around them have lost children that they didn't they weren't aware of before. And so I immediately said to her, What strategies are you using to survive? And she showed me that she had slit her wrists. She showed me the scars on her wrists. Oh my. And I thought, Oh wow, this is not this is not the right path for me. Right. I knew that or I her. would choose I would choose life. And if you choose life, you're choosing not just for yourself, but the people who love you. Because if you choose death, or a living death, then that affects everyone that you love. Your husband, your other si- your other children, your siblings. So the, the bravest thing is to choose to live. And then the next question is, how? How? And that's what my book is about. Dr. Gross, you also
0: reference the physical impact of the loss of a child on the physical body and and i would suggest that many people don't recognize that don't think about that can you talk a little bit about the physical health problems that you experienced after the loss of your daughter
1: (coughs) yes well you know uh, now because of technology and the medical world, we have uh, so many peer review articles, so many studies done on immunity. And we know that when a person loses someone they loved or even a job that they loved or had a a mate that they divorced but they still grieve losing, when these things happen, our antigens, the, the immunities that we have, dip, and when they go down, we become more vulnerable to infection, to viruses, to upper respiratory infections, to all kinds of things that signal that the stasis of our biology is completely off, because we can't cut our heads off at our neck. We're one system, and what affects our emotions affects our stress hormone, cortisol, and our adrenaline, and when our stress hormone is affected, it bathes our brain and changes brain architecture, impulse control, our sleep habits change, our eating habits change, and if you ever were addicted to anything, you'll reach for that addiction again because you're in pain. And the way our body, you know, we are very intellectually advanced, but Actually, psychologically, our emotions still operate off of a very primitive system, the same system that our cave relatives operated off of, our flight or fight. And that comes from our amygdala. And our amygdala en- enhances, gets larger when we're emotionally upset. And it becomes, in a sense, the captain of the si- ship. So we're moving through life from that emotion that we've experienced in trauma. And if we don't address it, then it takes its toll on us through the stress hormone cortisol, through lowering our antigens and, and affects our lymphocytes, our telomeres, and now we know this. And so if we acknowledge this power, by knowing this, we can affect it. Gail, Just we're going to take a by break. Getting more rest, you would make a big change. Better diet, you'd make a better a big lifestyle changes can impact, in fact, our health.
0: Gail, we're gonna take a break Gross, where can folks get more information about your book and what you are doing?
1: Well, you know my website is www.drgailgross.com. and there, you know, uh, I do blog twice a week for Huffington Post and Thrive Global and EmpowerHer.com, so I can be read in those venues or um, you know, things like that. You can get my book at uh, the regular channels amazon.com, all of that are listed on my website so that you can just click a button on my website and 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 do that get it that way and so um, you know, basically and, and media you know uh, 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 like your sh- wonderful show and so there are places where I'm available but This book has my philosophy from cover to cover. There's a chapter on on dream analysis. There's a chapter on alchemy because Jung used an alchemical model to really imprint the way into individuation. He gives a map, really, and I offer that map so that you can enter life again in a way that's vital and renewed and in a sense restored, restored to you. And there's an important part we didn't mention, but I I think it's important to note that 80% of people who lose a child end their marriages in divorce. So those who have lost so much already lose each other. And that's because men and women grieve differently And that's because it's very hard, therefore, to help each other grieve. And so that the one person in the world who knows how you feel, if it's the loss of a child, your mate, is unavailable to you. And so I give strategies to reconnect to your family and reconnect to your mate. And it's something that I created called the empathic process, which is a dialogue that helps Families and mates sit down in a neutral space. I like the kitchen and the kitchen table. It's nobody's power plates. It's not a place of sex. It's not a bed. It's not an office, but it's the heart of the house where alchemy happens. You take flour and water and make bread. And so it's in this space that, with a particular approach, each person listening to the other intimately and each person having equal amounts of Time to Speak I'm so sorry to have to interrupt
0: you, but we are right. out of time. I do thank you again for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. And I thank you to the listening audience for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk, which is brought to you daily as an educational public service. And it is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with a mental health, medical health, or other professional. You can always listen to Mind Talk on demand by going to my. Dot O-R-G. You can download the MindTalk app from your My, from your iTunes or Google Play Store. MindTalk is produced by Jim Brown and Twenty Six by Two Communications. I would love to know where in the world you are as you're listening today. So do send an email to me at pamela at MindTalk.org. Again, that's Y-N-D-T-A-L-K.org.